Sup, Thrill Seekers? I'm Dev. And I'm Connor. And you're listening to Mass Hysteria. That's all you're getting this week, guys. It's been a long one. We're sleepy. We're sleepy. Welcome or welcome back to Mass Hysteria, your favorite local New England podcast. We have currently taken over our landlord's room. Yes, we have, and he has a fancy bed that like. And yes, it's as strange as it up. sounds. We love it. So we're like on one of those old lady beds that like lifts. We have it at like a forty-five degree angle. That's nice. Um, how's that for math? Everyone making fun of me. Um, <laughs> your girl can do math <laughs> when she chooses to do math. <laughs> Uh, so if welcome, if you have not listened before, again, please start toward the beginning or some of this might not make sense, but we are so excited to have you. And if you returned, we are even more excited because we get worried. We want to be cool. We want to fit in with the youngins. Exactly. We want to provide interesting material. Um, just a little rundown of how this works. We start our episode usually with a mass hysterical, which is a more lighthearted, funny thing that happened to us this week or something we're reflecting on um, before diving into a case, which obviously we want to give our full respect and attention to. But, you know, if you're like me and Connor and the highlight of your week is listening to dumb jokes that ourselves probably talk. aren't that funny, um, <laughs> we, look, we just like to kind of catch up in the beginning and... We want to make sure that, you know, we are giving our cases our full serious attention because obviously they are very serious matters. But um, if you are like, hey, you're not funny, um, cool, no offense taken, just don't leave it in an Apple review. Um, <laughs> we will leave a timestamp at the time that we actually start the case. Which, speaking of Apple reviews, they really help us, guys. If you have, if you're a, a listener every week, and you think we're worth uh, giving a rating, we would super appreciate it. And also, if you think we're worth giving a rating, maybe we're worth, like, you know, giving a dollar or two. Oh, true. Well. We do have a podcast support. And you might be like, oh, are they begging for money? Yes. We're not going to answer that. But also, <laughs> we want to invest in better mics for one of our upcoming projects. And we're trying to use some of the profit from that. So and we also we our ads spend got a ended. lot of time. Our ads got ended. We spend a lot of time throughout the week working on this to, like, bring you guys new content. Content, 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 new content, <clears throat> no, new content, new content, and you know we want it to be good and and we enjoy it and if you enjoy it if you, you so know. if you're like can you stop over modulating we can if you toss us a dollar exactly um no but in all seriousness we're not trying to out here beg for money but if you like our show and you want to support we do have a financial we will support leave button the link below because uh, unfortunately our host site turned off our ads we'll get into that at a later date but. <laughs> I uh, can't figure out why that happened. And popular. <laughs> not bitter. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if you are also tight on cash, totally understandable because who isn't these days? Uh, Apple review goes a long way for us. Um, if, uh, I'm honestly not entirely sure how the Apple algorithm works, but it really helps if you give more ratings because then you show up higher in the results and people are more likely to find your show and we when we started this we really didn't think we were going to be continuing it this long we thought it'd be kind of a fun short project but now we are just very invested in covering cases especially ones that haven't been given a lot of attention and we want to uh make sure we can like keep doing that so if you wouldn't mind clicking into apple podcasts and giving us 
a review that rhymes with <laughs> five stars um that would be really <laughs> helpful uh because honestly it's free and you don't know how much it means to us and also we'd love to hear from all of you so Seriously. if you have something specific like oh this is my favorite case or we like it with, i like it when you cover xyz like please or you're like oh i like out. it when connor leads yeah me too or me too. i like it when connor's not on the show also me too <laughs> um and if you're like hey i would love to give a review but i don't have any inspiration i will read you the, our favorite review we've ever gotten that we've oh never been able to read without laughing so maybe this will be the first time um the title of it is daring when connor was forcibly deported from belize over two years ago i didn't know people knew about that after the much televised <laughs> goat trampoline incident many were convinced he would spend the rest of his life in an institution but here he is carefully monitored by his handler devon who herself is barely hanging on by a thread. I have no comment. If you think the idea of stories of the weird and criminal told by actual weird criminals sounds compelling, then you found your show. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, I don't think we could sum it up better. No, I don't, I don't think so. So we um, not only uh, ask for a review, but we implore you to explore your creative avenues. And if you can top that, we would be... If you can make us laugh more than that, honestly very impressive but it's a competition at this point yeah no but in all seriousness it's super easy and it really helps us so we'd appreciate it if you if you like our show if you don't like us our show send us a hate email please don't give us a bad review um but yeah so jumping into it our mass hysterical this didn't happen recently actually but i was just thinking about this the other day and i thought that you would appreciate this so connor's in the corporate world now he has been for a while. It's not like he just joined, but um, I was thinking. I want to get out. Yeah. <laughs> no, tell your employer you love your job. Yes, I I love my job. It helps when you're related to your employer. Yes. Um, no, I'm not his employer. Good question though. Uh, <laughs> no, but um, so I was thinking about like some of the worst autocorrects because I almost had like an incident this week where I like sent something and it autocorrected, and. One of my friends, I will not say who, if you're listening, you might know who this is because it was hilarious, wrote this email to his company. So he's working in a warehouse. They were launching a new facility and he was talking about, um, you know, the different shifts of workers that were coming in. And so he was giving a recap of like how everything played out. Right. Um, this has a this has a naughty potty word, if you will. So if you're with young ones, maybe mute it. Uh, or if you don't like swear words, um, who hurt you? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you can skip <laughs> ahead. Um, but he was like giving an email about how the first day went since the facility launched. And he's like, you know, so-and-so was great. It was like after the first shift. And then he's like, by the time we got to our third shit, things started to fall apart. <laughs> shit started to hit the fan. And we were like, are you, did you really not catch that you wrote shit instead of shift and he's like i don't want to talk about it oh my god that'd be so embarrassing <laughs> can you imagine saying after shirt after the third shit things weren't going as smoothly oh my god <laughs> I just, so, we don't need to delve any deeper into that yeah we can just leave that out there <laughs> um but i think that's a funny autocorrect mistake and as someone funny. who makes them regularly my phone now corrects baby to Bob, which is awkward because it's my dad's name if you're listening. So I'll be like, thanks, baby. And it'll be like, thanks, Bob. <laughs> um, so sorry, dad. But uh, yeah, there. if you have a funny autocorrect story, send it to us because I always think those are entertaining. Um, and without further ado, we will be starting this case. This is like, 
a couple of different layers to it. Um, so want to make sure we give it the uh, full attention it deserves. This actually is a cold case that was solved um, in Rhode Island. So I have seen her name pronounced Huff. If I'm saying it incorrectly, please feel free to let us know. But I have seen it pronounced Huff. Um, is it H-O-U-G-H? Yeah. yeah. I think that is usually Huff. Yeah. I was just thinking like, yeah, I guess there could be someone off. But um, her name was Claire Huff. She was one month shy of 15 uh, when she was killed. Um, Very, very beautiful, uh, like lively, free spirited Mm -hmm. type of girl. Um, It was August 1984. She was kind of a rocker chick. She was really into like ACDC and like all those kind of bands. Had the big um, like blown out 80s hairstyle. I love that. Uh, she was known, I, I thought this was really sweet, like when her parents and friends were reflecting on who she was, she was known for being really kind, always doing the right thing, and she was smart and a writer. She liked to write poetry. Um, her best friend was a girl at the time uh, who named whose name was Kim uh, Jamer, and she went on a trip with um, Claire from her house. They lived, the two of them lived in Rhode Island, to San Diego, and this was because... Um, Claire's grandparents lived in San Diego. So oh, they were nice. going to h- hang out for the summer. Um, I'm sure it was like, if so, she's one month shy of 15. You turned 15 freshman year, so I'm guessing she would have been going into her sophomore year. So, you know, something fun to do in the summer. Um, and what's better than spending time at the beach you with like your kids? When you're like, your summer was like, who am I summer going to go hang out with? just doesn't have the same like, feel anymore. The biggest worry was like finding a bikini that no one else had. I know you had that worry as <laughs> I well. I did. I did. Um, so there were a couple of articles. There's two that I'm going to reference. Um, one was the San Diego Tribune. They did a really in-depth three-part series on this. And then another was the Atlantic, which still did like a very detailed um, uh, piece about this. But the San Diego Tribune was the main resource. But in the Atlantic, um, Kim, her friend that she had been with, uh, gave a quote that said, in the field of sunflowers, she was an orchid. Isn't that really pretty? That's really pretty. I like um, that. So Claire, she was, like I said, she was kind of a free spirit, a wild soul. She loved doing adventuring. Um, I'm sure she was like always chasing an adrenaline rush. Uh, So on one of the final nights of the vacation, I think they were going for two or three weeks to stay with their grandparents. But Kim was leaving a little bit uh, before the end of Claire's trip because Claire was going to spend the final days with her grandparents. So um, Claire convinced Kim like, hey, let's go to the beach at night and we can kind of sneak out, which obviously they're... They're not like 10, but they are still pretty young, pretty young to yeah. be going anywhere alone. So obviously, I'm sure the grandparents weren't like, yeah, go sneak out. So um, they were like, you know, Claire was saying, oh, Kim, we'll, we'll be quiet. We'll sneak through kind of like a little glass door, open mm-hmm. it, you know. And um, Kim was definitely more nervous about it. But Claire was really excited and she ran along the beach. They made a little campfire. Claire had like a, a little cigarette hanging out of her mouth and she was playing up with her boombox, bla- blasting music. Um, but Claire was also like empathetic and she could see that Kim was getting really nervous. So she's like, I promise Kim I won't do it again. And Kim was saying, I wish that she had kept that promise, which is really sad. Mm. So we're going to get into it. Um, so because Claire, like I said, the reason for the trip was to see her grandparents after Kim left, like Claire wanted to sneak out. So she just snuck out. Um, and on August 23rd, uh, 1984, Claire snuck out alone for a final time. So a beachgoer, his name was Wallace Wheeler. Does that almost sound like a cartoon name? It does, yeah. Wallace Wheeler, he was surveying the beach 
the next morning. I guess he liked to collect like cans. He probably turned them in for oh, money. Nice, yep. And I bet um, you would find some. On oh the yeah, I'm in sure. San Diego, yeah. Especially like littered with. They teens do fires partying. on the beaches too. So like I bet like you know if you have a fire oh, going, like a propane. They have like you can have like little wood burning fires on the beach in San Diego. Oh, that's true. So probably like yeah, people might be there partying or whatever, either forget or intentionally leave, leave can something behind. Yeah. So he would walk along the beach and see what he could collect. Um, and it was really early in the morning. This was around 5 a.m. And he was surveying the beach and he noticed like, oh, I think that's a girl. She looks like she's sleeping. Um, and he shined his flashlight away because he's like, oh, I don't want to wake her up. But then he kind of like thought again. And he, when he looked at her, he was like, oh, she's kind of in a position that you wouldn't right. like organically sleep in. Right. Uh, she was on her right side and she was next to the boom box. And as he got closer to her, he realized, like, oh, she has a lot of blood around her head. Oh, jeez. Um, and she had been strangled, and her mouth was full of sand. And this is pretty – I mean, that was graphic, obviously, but this next description is pretty gory, too. So if, if you are um, – if that's not your, your type of thing that you want to listen to, we do have a lot of cases where uh, – prior previous episodes that you can listen to that aren't um, quite as graphic as this. So no um, – if yeah, don't want to anyone I don't want to listen to something that makes them uncomfortable because this is a pretty gruesome murder. Um, that's the final warning. But she, yeah, so she her mouth was full of sand. Her left breast was cut off. Oh my god! And her genitalia was all mutilated. Jesus! And the autopsy showed at the time that there was like no Seal. sperm, no sperm found in her body. But like it looked like because of how mutilated her uh like private was area assaulted. was that she was assaulted. Yeah. Um, and she was found under the same bridge that she had been with when she was with Kim when they were like listening to to the boom box. Um, and what's even more, or what's even eerier, I guess, is like five years earlier, a girl who was 15, was named Barbara, uh, Nante, um, she had murdered in an identical fashion, like in the same area. Yeah. So the police were like, oh, this must be related, related or perhaps a copycat crime. Right. So what about Wheeler, right? Because he found her. Mm-hmm. Um, he was an army vet. He worked as an insurance salesman at the time. But he had a lot of signs of potential mental illness. I found in one other place in the Atlantic that he was probably schizophrenic. Uh, he, he would comb the beach for cans. He was like 61. Um, and I think initially he kind of came up to the family and they kind of got a bad feeling about him. And and he might have just been like he was mentally ill, right? So yeah. he might just have been. He said he was off. a veteran too. Yeah. He's a so veteran. he may have had some like serious like PTSD issues. And so they, I think because he approached them and said, you know, I found your daughter, blah, blah, blah. They were kind of thinking, oh, well, maybe he did have something to do with it. And they wanted to make sure that they pursued that to the extent that they could. Right. right? So, um, he started writing the family letters like back to Rhode Island and he claimed he was a psychic and he had a vision a month prior that he was going to find a body on the beach. And then he said that he and Claire had this intimate, spiritual, clairvoyant relationship. Did he know her? No. So the family was like, okay, uh, this is really strange, but, but like at the police's urging. and, And I think because they also were kind of thinking this, the police were like, just kind of play into it to see if you can get a confession out of him. Like if he did do something, Mm -hmm. um, but Wheeler told the Huffs, like, a man with long hair, he had a high forehead, and he was missing an ear, and he was the one that came up under the bridge and, and killed Claire. Um, and even though the parents... Like, very descriptive. Very descriptive. Also very, um, like, very identifiable, someone missing an ear. Mm-hmm. Like, 
uh, Van Gogh kind of style yeah. person, right? So like the parents kept up the charade for a little while and then they realized like he's probably just mentally ill um, and or, or at least the letters are probably reflecting his mental illness rather than his what participation recalls, yeah. in this crime, right? So they kind of kept it up for the charade for a while, but they never really got this confession out of him and he was cleared as a suspect. And then sadly he jumped to his death a couple of years later. Oh, that's awful. So he, the case was cold because that was really the only lead that they had and they didn't have any witnesses. And, um, I think like sometimes these cases get a bad rap or not the cases themselves, but the authorities, because people think like, Oh, it just went cold. Like they stopped trying. But that's not really the case, especially with something like this, because they really do have like limited technology at the time in yeah. terms of like how they yeah. can pursue things. So they revisit it all the time. Like they keep revisiting it every couple of years. And don't get me wrong. I'm sure there are cases. I know there are cases that they, could, they do just, go cold yeah. and they're not touched. But this yeah. was not one of those cases. And I want to make sure that that's like uh, uh, represented. So they would test it every couple of years as DNA would get more and more advanced. And it evolved over the years. Right. But they every time they tested it, there was not really any luck. Um, until and uh, 2012. So the San Diego Tribune said that each time like new equipment would come along, they would take all of the old items that they had stored and test right. them. And then in 2012, uh, Lynn Rydalk, uh, he was or shoot, he was a homicide detective, excuse me, and he emailed the lab if there was anything that they could do, like anything that they could test. And at this point, the lab had a DNA expert who had all the technology now to make a full profile wow. and like check if there are any matches. So there was a little bit of blood on Claire's clothing. And at the time when they were testing it earlier on, they just did not have enough resources to put together a profile, but now they could. And when they analyzed it, it was a match for this man named Ron Tatro, who is a known criminal, which we'll get into in a second. Um, but there was also a second man's DNA. So remember that because we're oh going to come back to that. And the second man's DNA was found on the vaginal swab sample. Okay, but so, it didn't have a match. Uh, the first, so the first, the blood matched Tatro, right. and then they didn't know who the second man was. Well, initially, okay. who the second man was. Okay, so Ron Tatro, who was he? Um, the San Diego Tribune wrote, "Quote: His criminal record included raping a woman at knife point in Arkansas in 1974, Jesus. attempting to kidnap a teenager in 1985 after zapping her twice with a stun gun." Holy and shit. then after that, he checked himself into a psychiatric clinic because he said he had trouble to control his his violent urges, end quote. I mean, at least there's like some amount of self-awareness, but clearly right. he is, clearly has yeah. issues. Um, and so he was obviously connected to this. They had the evidence. The issue with him was that he was uh, deceased at this time. Um and he will get into it in a second, but want to come back to the second. Person. Do you know how old he would have been at the time of the murder? Oh, I think uh, like mid thirties. Okay. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I, I they showed his like mugshot from around the time, and that's around the age that he looked. Um, so the second man's DNA that was on the vaginal swab, and this is this this case has like. A lot of twists. This is the first twist. It was someone who'd worked at the lab. Okay. Okay. So you're thinking like, why would they have that person's DNA? Well, when you worked at a lab, they wanted to take your DNA um, because, I don't know if you knew this, back in the 80s, until at least the early like 2010 era, uh, lab like criminologists would keep a sample of their own semen 
at the desk or like not at the desk but like in the refrigerated section so that they could use it to test if chemicals were accurately picking up on semen really and i'm like i'm not even like i'm not even smiling because we're saying the word semen which is funny in itself but like think of how weird that would be like you're bringing your own excrement really to yeah work isn't that strange we don't have to go into that too much but that's that's that's, um, interesting um, i mean i'm obviously there was a reason for it but i did not know that like i missed my calling Um, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so that's why it would be somewhat so that's why they would have someone's profile that worked at the lab okay the man who worked at the lab his name is kevin brown he's going to be the main focus of the rest of this we'll talk about Tatro in a second but we're going to come back to kevin so he grew up in sacramento his father was a doctor his mom was an administrator um for a government office he graduated cal state um and he worked in forensic science he ultimately got his first job in a lab in new mexico kind of realized like hey california is my home base i want to go back so he came to uh, san diego and then he worked there for 20 years. He, wow. had, he had a great reputation for, for his work. We'll talk about his personal reputation. His personal repu- reputation. Um, sorry, Taylor Swift. I can't see reputation. Um, <laughs> but he did have a, gr- a good reputa- reputation. <laughs> that is a hard word for me. In the lab. Yeah, in the lab. He was a gentle giant. He kind of got flustered easily and nervous. And like eventually, I don't think he was fired, but he was kind of like pushed out of his job because he would get really um uh flustered and kind of like all over the place when he was in court which is like yeah that's difficult the job i don't i don't actually know if it's half the job but But like when you're testing stuff you go before the the judge in a case and say yes that's this and he would kind of get frazzled easily um he he seemed like from what i read and like the comments they made that he probably had some kind of like anxiety disorder Mm mm-hmm um so did the lab contaminate it right because that's like the first thing you're thinking of it there are cases of inadvertent contamination because employees give their dna but this was his sperm cells on a vaginal sample which just seems like yes it could it's plausible in the scheme of things but that seems like a very specific yeah yeah it's not like mm -hmm. it's not like he had uh you know finger cells on like an arm yeah, or exactly. something. Because yeah. they're like, employees could brush up against something mm-hmm. like that. Or happens. even cough or whatever. Also, no hate on the 80s, but it is the 80s. So, like, mm-hmm. I'm sure the sterilization practices are not what they are currently. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and also sperm cells on the body of a yeah, that dead victim is, is yeah. a, little, a little too coincidental. So, um, yeah, so criminal... Uh, criminal criminologists excuse me routinely keep their their semen at work like we said but like it's usually deposited on a piece of cloth for standards it wouldn't be just like end up in a random sample Mm -hmm. and um that wasn't the case obviously with claire's case and in brown's um sperm being in her sample uh so the criminology lab like put it all on the table because this has two um repercussions i mean many repercussions but one of them is like obviously kevin but then the second piece of this is like did this lab just contaminate things for years it doesn't look good for the lab doesn't look good so they kind of had this like secret meeting with the detective team and the new detective was a man named michael lambert he was on the case and um he first met up with kim who was the friend we talked about in the beginning who told him that like claire had a boyfriend and she wouldn't have just talked to like teacher brown because they were significantly older than her at the time and she was very faithful to her boyfriend so like how would she have come to known brown or tatro at all 
And the second piece of that question is, if both of these men have their DNA on the sample, how do they know each other, right? Right. So if we go back for a second to Tatro, he was sentenced to 40 years um, for the crimes that we talked about before, and he served eight of those. And then he was paroled to San Diego where he lived with his sister. He had a job as a handyman. He was doing kind of like maintenance work, and he did a little bit of real estate development. Um, he had been investigated in a prostitute murder in September 1984. Um, and then later for, uh, in June 1985, he had tried to kidnap the, the, abduct the girl, like we talked about. And later that same night, he tried to kill himself. And that's when he got psychiatric help. That's when he realized I can't control these violent urges. So he moved to Tennessee and then this is very strange. In 2011, he drowned in a boating accident. And it was the same day of the year as Claire's murder. Weird. Which is very spooky. I don't know if there's a message. It's, it's like him saying he's guilty. No one really knows. But there are two. I mean, it's 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 sad that he's deceased. But that means that he also can't be talked to. Right. And nothing can be confirmed, right? So that's obviously a challenge. Frustrating. Exactly. So what about Kevin? So he had a nickname. Again, we talked about his behavior as professional. But he had a nickname among coworkers as Kinky Kevin. Okay. Yeah, not the best nickname. Uh, it stemmed from a fondness of strip clubs and nude photography. He um, liked to like pursue these kind of risque activities when he first... On his off time? Yeah. When he first moved to, to the San Diego area and while he was still a bachelor, okay? Because mm-hmm. he is married and he has a great... Rep- uh, he had a great uh, marriage with his wife and he... This was not a prominent piece of his But it had life. been there. But it had been, right? And and, it, and his uh, wife, like, knew about his past behaviors. He was, you know, his bachelor going to strip clubs all the time, talking about it. And, like, that is socially um, odd quote unquote, to do. Yeah, but it's also socially, quote-unquote, acceptable. Like, it's nothing – it's not violent. It's not – criminal he's not doing anything actually wrong no. he's just being strange. it's just kind of noteworthy is it uncomfortable is it inappropriate absolutely but he's not saying like oh i you know went and killed someone yeah. he's just like has yeah. these kind of odd maybe um not socially acceptable to discuss right hobbies right so one thing though that was weird is they were interviewing some of his coworkers, and one of them said like he was working on a case with a woman who had been violently raped and he like read the report out loud and she thought that was kind of odd because, like, I guess in the lab, you know, the uh, authorities might, when they're making a report, like, write something kind of funny, you mm-hmm. know? Like, if they're writing something fast or they make a spelling mistake mm-hmm. or whatever. So she's like, oh, it's kind of common, like, if some of us are reading a report and find something funny, we'll read out loud. might read a section. She's like, why would he read a violent rape report out loud? Like, that was just off to him. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like maybe he's kind of, like, he doesn't really understand a lot of these social norms. Um, but police were kind of acting under the ruse that Tatro mentioned knowing Kevin when they first started talking to Kevin and Kevin's like I really don't know this guy and they're like yeah like your buddy Tatro like you might have seen him or like hung out with him and he's like I really I don't know him and Mm -hmm. um the police are like oh well like he likes nude photography and like you do and um they show Kevin a photo of Claire and he goes oh I know her and Why then, does he know a fourteen-year-old? Well, that's the thing, and in in who's not from the area, even not from the area, and I am not at all condoning underage sexual assault, right? But she, she did look older, so they were thinking maybe he didn't know she was fourteen or fifteen. Okay. 
But if you go back to his, uh, what, excuse me, what Claire's friend said, she's like, she was had a boyfriend that she was very committed to. She was going to go hang out with like random men. Yeah. Um, and probably not old men. Yeah. And so this was a quote that was from the San Diego Tribune. Brown's like, I don't remember if I did have sex with her. I don't know how. I don't remember. I don't even remember every person I was sexually intimate with. But I do know that I'd never, ever kill anybody. And so I think there's like a couple of issues. He's not like straight up saying, I don't know this woman or girl, girl. But he is kind of like giving them a Mm non-answer. So they're like trying to push him a little bit more, right? Now, was he involved at all in her... um no, it's a good question. He was not. Okay. Which we'll, they'll get back to. I'll get back to that. But he um, did put his foot in his mouth because he told them that he had trouble ejaculating. And you might be like, okay, well, why does that matter? Well, the police um, ha- could only find like 150 DNA cells on her uh, the vaginal swab, which was probably for why it sperm, took so long. Or for, for semen, that's for a semen. very small. Which, like, usually there's, like, thousands, yeah. millions. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, millions. I don't have any semen. <laughs> but um, it is, like, yes, obviously a very, small. very small sample. Right? So the police get a warrant to take his belongings. They're like, okay, this guy's giving us all these non-answers. His DNA's here. He says he knows her but can't remember how he knows her like something's off so they end up being able to get a warrant to take his belongings and i guess um his wife could be like they showed up she worked at a school and they showed up to school to like tell her you know notify her we're going to be going through your stuff we're going to be showing up and taking boxes away and i guess um she told or the san diego tribune reported that when she turned to walk away she was like boy i sure know how to pick him oh, um, which is sad but she goes on to like later stand by him which i think is very uh, she, she seems like a very strong woman. Um, but Kevin uh, called police back to his home before everything could be taken. And he's like, wait, I, you know, I have some stuff I want to talk about. Like, and he took a polygraph. And it was truthful that he never killed anyone. That was one of the uh, questions they asked him. But the results came back inconclusive about the Tatro connection. Mm-hmm. And so um, in the days, like, following all these interrogations he kind of got really anxious and scared and he had trouble breathing he started to lose weight his wife was taking him to urgent care which and i'm gonna be honest it's not clear if he's guilty or not i think by the end i'm leaning that he didn't do anything but if he did or didn't this is like a nightmare for someone that like very clearly has anxiety yeah yeah well and and they even say that um lie detector tests aren't that accurate just because if you're nervous it will make anyone any normal person will be anxious because of that kind of situation exactly so he kept a journal and on um the anniversary of her death he wrote this affirmation list that said make each day special with each day face your fears you can't hide from them and the elephant in the room will go away because you're not the person they're looking for. The truth will set you free. When did is, you write this? Uh, in 2014 okay. on the anniversary of her death, which is like very sad if he yeah, wasn't really guilty, sad if he you wasn't, know? Yeah. And so uh, Rebecca, the wife, she met Kevin um, initially years before. I think they were married for 21 years. She met him um, after answering a personal ad, which was kind of cute, oh. I thought. Um, the two got married and then eight months after the family kind of got like a weird vibe from Kevin even then and you can tell this was very divisive in her family because they were like you you married someone whose nickname was kinky Kevin like he probably has some connection to this case and she stands by him and I mean thrill seekers listening to this you can decide what you think 
if he was guilty or not. We know Tatro's guilty for mm-hmm. sure, but Kevin's involvement is still like very unclear. Um, and so the next day on October 20th, um, Rebecca Brown came, Rebecca's his wife, came back from work and she noticed like, Kevin's not here. What, where where would he be? He left about 10 a.m. So she, this is after work, right? So she's probably like early afternoon. I mean, excuse me, late afternoon, early evening. This is 2014. 2014. October 20th. He left at 10 a.m. to run errands. Like there's no way it should have taken him all day. Um, and one of the things he had bought was a rope. And he was found hanging from a tree in mm. the Cuyamaca Rancho uh, State Park. That's awful. Which is very sad. Um and this kind of opened a new can of worms because now P- Rebecca believed, you know, the police led him to suicide. They drove him to suicide. Yeah. And um, Rebecca had a quote that she gave to the San Diego Tribune where she said, God is a big deal to to Kevin. He's a devout Catholic. And after he died, in keeping with the ancient traditions, um, she being Rebecca, had a mass celebrated for him for 30 straight days, believing it would free his soul from purgatory. She went to the tree where he died, said a prayer, picked up leaves from the ground, and then she put them in the Bible. So she was, she, you know, felt like Kevin didn't do this. And because the police, I, I respect their investigation in the sense of like, they're really trying to push for answers. I get that. But if they had the wrong man, they were really prolonging this because they had his stuff and they had it for like nine months. They weren't giving back his stuff. Right. And this wasn't just like, oh, I took two of his books. They had stuff that wasn't even related. And I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that like they're, you know, you should, if you're going to get a warrant for someone you think is involved, I'm sure you're going to take boxes of things and some sure, of them aren't going to be relevant. But they were hanging on to them for months and kind of stringing him along that they were going to give him back his belongings and they never gave them back. And so Rebecca kind of believes basically that they were, and, and, and I don't want to put words in her mouth or put words in the authority's mouth, but what it seems like is one case, what each party was kind of waiting for the other one to budge, right? Yeah. So like they, in their version of budging would be Kevin confessing. Right. So Rebecca hired a lawyer. Um, his name was Eugene Iredale. I, I don't know if I said that right. I'm sorry. I couldn't find a pronunciation. But <laughs> on December 17th, 2014, so this was two months after about, um, she filed a claim against the city of San Diego. Um, and this was like required to, or as like a precursor before you can file a lawsuit. And it was lodged on behalf of, lodged on behalf of, um, Rebecca Brown and her husband's estate. And it basically says that the detectives illegally searched and took their stuff and that this led to wrongful death and because of their investigative misconduct. So the pretrial went on for almost five years. Um, and they didn't have potential jurors that they could even use in the courtroom until early 2020. Um, and so Rebecca and her attorney had basically three violations of the Fourth Amendment, which is unreasonable search and seizure because mm-hmm. they'd held his possessions for going like almost a year. Um, and then this is where there's another twist in the case. So um, going so to summarize. There's like so many pieces of this I'm getting clustered. <laughs> we know Tatro's involved, but he's Dead. deceased, so you cannot interview him and you cannot ask him if he knew Kevin, right? So right. now they have Kevin's DNA on the sample. That's all they have. But Kevin worked at a lab. Um and they uh the the witness that kind of shook the courtroom, his name was John Sims, and he looked really haunted as he walked to the witness stand. So he had worked at the same time Brown did, uh Kevin Brown. Kevin would have been his supervisor. Mm-hmm. 
John Sims was the man that worked on the Claire Huff case, okay? He uh, originally said, oh, I'm definitely sure that the sample was kept separate from Kevin's uh, semen sample that was stored in the fridge. Mm -hmm. We won't unpack again how strange that is. I don't think that's currently a practice, but if you work in a lab and it is, please let us know. It does seem like that wouldn't be a good idea to store so close to like other DNA samples, but... I get that. I get that they need something to test it, like, oh, we want to make sure that this is picking up, this chemical that we're testing is picking up semen. I get that, but, like, why can't they make the artificial semen or, like... Or, like, I don't know, store it in something different or, like, I don't know. So, anyway, again, maybe we'll make a separate episode about the the semen in these testing centers. But, um, no, he was preparing to um, examine Claire's sample at the time, and this is where he says he's not really sure if this happened or not this could have happened but he's like i you know i might have gone to the refrigerator and i might have grabbed what i thought was kevin's semen standard i mean my semen standard but it was actually kevin's semen standard and then i might have cut a piece of to check if it was like testing the chemicals correctly and i might have cleaned the scissors but it might not have been enough to fully remove them and some of this might have been the scissors that i used to eventually cut the vaginal swabs that were used in analysis what and um this kind of sounds plausible to me in the, in the scheme of it, right? Because, sure. like, and and I think I, I'm not faulting John. Like, he probably did the best that he could. He had a reputation for doing incredible work and being really detailed. This also makes him look bad then, right? If he, like, my question though, more is like, why was this not found in the investigation earlier? Well, that's a great question. So the detective, according to the documents that I read, the detective only learned that semen samples were stored when the investigation was like really far underway. Why would he not have been told that? Connor, your guess is as good as mine. Wow. There's a lot of weird things here. A lot of weird things. But like there are, um, and and again, if you are someone that does testing like this. Maybe you could clarify something for us. Please tell us. Let us know. We would love to have you as a guest because after reading this, I have a lot of questions about how things are tested, but one of them that they did point out that is important that you should take into account is the fact that like nowadays, if they were going to test something and use whatever, like the same pair of scissors to cut out a sample of something else, they would bleach it. And back in the day, they might have like used soap and water, which would make sense why there's 150 cells. Yeah. Yeah. So if this guy, and again, he had a reputation for being like impeccable in his, in his work, that work ethic and style. And he was known for doing like very clean work. But let's say that he did accidentally grab Kevin. Things happen. And he used part of it. And then he kind of like rinsed off his scissors and maybe part of it was still left on the way. I also you know? wonder though, like, why do they each have their own semen sample? Connor's really hung up. On I'm the semen really sample. confused. Why they wouldn't just use one. I don't. Yeah, I I can't say the word semen anymore in this episode. Um, <laughs> but so this was kind of the uh, end of the line for like why it was wrong to pursue Kevin because now they're like you guys didn't even explore the full there potential a, avenue. Yeah, yeah. And so um, Rebecca was rewarded a six million dollar settlement, and the detective who he seemed like he had all the right intentions, but he just in the end of it, like, pushed too hard and didn't go about it the right way. But I don't think, like, there are people that have malintent, right? But, like, it doesn't seem like that was his thing. He really, really wanted to solve the case. And you have to give him, you know, kudos for that. But, like, he he did kind of, I think, um, 
pursue Kevin in a way that wasn't fair in the end mm-hmm. because he was holding his stuff and he was kind of torturing him till he confessed for lack of a better phrase. So yeah, when they didn't have enough evidence. Yeah. So to... he did have to pay $50,000 in damage to um, Rebecca. Wow. Um, and she had a quote that she submitted to uh, the Atlantic where she said it was never about the money. She split the proceeds in half with her attorney and she gave away most of her share. She created a theater scholarship where she used uh, to work at that theater, and then she donated to the blood bank, the Humane Society, and the church. Oh. So, um, as of the most recent information that I could find, semen is no longer used in labs. But I'm interested if, if that was one of the defining yeah. uh, historical moments where why semen should not be used in labs. Like semen samples, mm-hmm. obviously, they could be testing actual evidence, but people don't bring their own semen to work. Um <laughs> Jeez. No, but like I just I'm thinking about that. I, yeah, I, I can't I'm, think about that no, anymore. Don't think actually. About it. Um, okay, so I know that earlier we said that Barbara and Nante that there was potential connection. And similar re- murder, yeah. Very similar murder, right? Because she was mutilated the mm-hmm. same way, and she was found on a beach. And um, this was a case where like it was either Tatro or no one else, because like why would like this either first of all i don't think kevin would be involved in that in that piece of the violence mm-hmm. you know i think they were kind of pursuing like kevin might have like like at least from what i've read Maybe their belief slept with her and knew something exactly yeah. slept with her and then got attacked by tatro and then was like oh my god he probably hurt this girl i'm not going to come forward that right. was but kind of the lead they were pursuing they don't think he's a violent murder. criminal yeah. yeah and so she had been violently um killed in the same way that Claire was, but he had been in jail for rape at the time, Tatro 1978. Had. Yeah, so he couldn't have hurt her. So uh, the police kind of concluded that Claire's, like, Tatro was a copycat for whoever uh, so they do believe hurt Tatro Barbara. Was the murderer. Yeah, but uh, the murder of Claire, but that he had copied. But Barbara's case is still cold. Still cold. Okay. So um, hopefully. They find answers in her case because that's horrible. That's so that's horrible. so grisly. They were young girls. They had their whole lives ahead of them. Um, but I just thought that was like a wild story. And I think I was really very... I didn't know anything about the testing. No, like, I guess we should do some research to do. Yeah, we have some research to do. We have potential follow-ups. But um, I thought you hadn't heard her name, right, Claire Huff? I didn't no, know. She, I mean, no. it happened in California, but she was from Rhode Island. So right. that was how I kind of I'm first I'm sure there was some local but coverage. She seemed like a lovely... Uh, girl and every everywhere that like every article I read where her friends and family were describing her she was like like the light of everyone's life so kind so so giving so uh, it's very horrible that her life was cut short um but it is it is nice that they were able to in the end kind of figure out what happened and it's but it is very very sad that part of that damage was that Kevin Brown was driven to hurt himself like that Mm -hmm. so I mean it's it, there's a lot of there's a lot of takeaways with this kind of a case, but um, we will leave all the resources. I highly encourage you if you want to actually know like more of the details yeah, do some on your own. because we can only say so much in the time slot that we have. Um, I will obviously leave all of them in the description. But until next time, bye guys. Bye guys.